city's been so quiet since the boys in green went back. But it only took them three months to put Porton on the map. Yes, the stadium's never heard the sound of cheers in all its years. When the players come on the field, the thousands singing in their ears. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's give all of the boys a cheer for the Portland Timbers will be here. So what excites me most about today's guest is that, like me, he grew up here playing soccer, which means he was influenced by the same ecosystem the builders of this game started in 1975. I'll tell you more about his amazing career, but I want to first welcome Portland native and 2008 Timbers leading scorer, Chris Brown. Chris, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to be with you, Billy. Happy to to join and have a conversation with you today. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. And I think uh, what's cool and we'll talk about as we get into this is that you know, you, I mean, not just that you had a, the career you had, which is amazing, and that it ended here, but just that, you know, you were influenced early on by other iterations of the Timbers and FC Portland. Yeah, I um, I mean, what a time that was growing up in Portland. And, um, you know, back in that day, you know, with no real professional team, at least uh, when I was growing up, um, you know, until, uh, you know, Portland Pride kind of came around and um really excited to to join you guys to talk a little bit about my history sounds good well i'm going to start with a longer bio and uh and then we'll get into some questions here so i left out a lot in the initial intro yeah i left out a lot but i'll get there in a nutshell chris has won the championship of just about everything he's played for his 1994 FC Portland club team won the US Youth Soccer Association National Championship and his high school Jesuit I hate to say this, won the Oregon State Soccer Championship all four years Chris played. Chris played for the U.S. at the U-17, 18, 20, and 23 levels. He attended the Clive Charles Coached University of Portland, where Brown was a 1998 MAC Player of the Year finalist, putting him in company with Yari Allnett and Casey Keller as the only male pilots to make the final list. In 1998, he led the Oregon men's team to the Donnelly Cup National Championship. I'm leaving out an impossible to list amount of awards and recognitions, but Chris was drafted as the fifth overall pick in the 1999 Major League Soccer College Draft by the Kansas City Wizards. In 2000, Brown and the Wizards won the MLS Supporters Shield and MLS Cup. In 2003, Chris was traded to the New England Revolution, where he scored a hat trick in his first match. Chris played for two more Major League Soccer clubs, San Jose Earthquakes and Real Salt Lake, before his career took him to his hometown with USL one side Portland Timbers. Chris has played with and against some of the best names in U.S. soccer, and he holds the Portland Timbers history distinction of scoring the last goal for which Ring of Honor, Timbers Ring of Honor member Timber Jim Serrell ever cut. All right. How'd we do there? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> I mean, I could go on, and I had to take a little bit of a jab at Jesuit just because I went to Central Catholic, and we did not win any state championships, so... I guess I can't really <laughs> say too much. Well, you, you do a great job with your intros. It's, it's always, um, you know, for me going through all that is very humbling. Um, and I'm not a big statistician, um, statistician, but, um, you know, there, there was a lot there and, and it's very humbling to, to kind of hear it. I, 
I don't spend a lot of time kind of researching the game or, or uh, going through history, if you will. But uh, but I appreciate that those humbling remarks. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I think it's important to list some of those things for for our listeners. But what people are going to find here is they hopefully doing all these is that that those are just things and the the person behind those things, because um, those kind of get us into the conversation. But the person behind those things is uh, where we all have stuff in common and, and where the story really is. Well, and, and when you when you talk about Jesuit, I totally get it. Um, you know, I, I think we were hated by many. And um, and so I totally understand that sentiment. But um, but definitely proud to have, have gone to Jesuit. And when I think about high school these days, I mean, the high school landscape has changed so much. Um, you know, a lot of people don't even play high school. Some of the best players don't play high school. But and having a daughter and, and a son now in high school, it's pretty remarkable to to you know, win state title four years in a row. Um, you know, all it takes is one PK miss or, or one bad call to, to not win a championship or not win a playoff game. So, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a great run. And, you know, Dave Nicholas was behind all that and I have to give a lot of credit to him for everything. Yeah. And were those finals played at then Civic Stadium? I think, um, I think two of them were. Uh, I think my freshman year, it was kind of in my, my one of one of the best game high school games that I played in was uh, at Civic Stadium on that old AstroTurf um, against Sunset. Um, and I think we squeaked that one out. Um, and I can't remember the following year where it was, but then we were back there my junior and the year and then my my senior year, I think it was in South Eugene, if I remember right. So it's kind of crazy how that. I mean, it is still the center of soccer, but different levels had access to uh, playing there uh, when we were coming through. Yeah, it was. It's it's Civic Stadium is just you know is you know such a, a great backdrop, and you know having grown up and got, going to some games there as I was a kid, and then playing there in high school, and then you know returning to what it is today, um, and, and playing there with the Timbers in two thousand eight. It's just such an icon of of Portland history, soccer history. Yeah, well, let's walk through some of that. I know we've talked before uh, for other things I've written. Um, and one thing that really sticks out to me is that you had, like me, a very Portland Gen X growing up experience, which means soccer wise, you played your youth soccer probably for your dad uh, before eventually playing for X Timbers. Uh, what was your pre FC Portland soccer journey like? Yeah, I, um, you know, I started. I think that was probably five or six. We had we had moved from uh, Rock Creek, um, or in, in the Portland area out west, um, to Lake Oswego. My parents, you know, I, I don't know how I, you know, where I got my athletics because my my dad and my mom were not athletic whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, but my dad, you know, uh, you know, we needed a soccer coach at Lake Oswego, and he took it on. And it was. You know, it was just rec or whatever, but I think it was co-ed if I remember right. And so when I was five or six, he just coached a team and, and that's kind of how it started. You know, I think I, you know, quickly kind of came out of the gates and was, was scoring um, a bunch of goals pretty early on, but I was playing a lot of sports. Like I loved and still love basketball. Um, I, I mean, I would say that's almost my, you know, competing love with soccer is basketball. Um, so I played basketball, played baseball, um, played a whole bunch of, of different sports and tennis, actually. Actually, tennis and soccer were in the main sports when I was about five to ten years old. Um, 
And so, yeah, I was just kind of grew up in the Lake Oswego club system. My dad uh, coached for a little bit and then actually became the president of the Lake Oswego soccer club back then. Um, and then I think from there I moved over to uh, Fusk, Baldwin Hills United uh, with Mike DePena. Mike DePena was my coach for, I think, one or two years. And then that kind of led me um, to the FC Portland days when uh, when Clavitt kind of started the club. Club team and started off, if I remember right, as you know, a bunch of different age groups coming together. So I think I was probably the youngest, but there was like a you know a bunch of 13, 14, 15 year olds kind of forming a U16, U17 club team, if I remember right, and and doing a bunch of training. But um, that's kind of you know my my uh, club club time leading up until the FC Portland days. Yeah, and and for people our age, that sort of, that time there were maybe two or three competitive clubs in the area and still a lot of neighborhood focused clubs. And so to play what people called classic, I think at the time, Twalton Hills, Portland city United were pretty much it before West Villa and FC Portland came along. Yes. Yes. I, um, there weren't a whole lot of clubs. It wasn't as saturated as it is now and as complicated as it is now, but, um, you know, and I don't remember the the catalyst for me moving over to Thusk, but I want to say it was it was mostly due to to Mike DePena being the coach, um, and, and getting good coaching and, and knowing that you know I, I had played up on age for a while, and so I was looking for my next club team as as our team was kind of folding, if you will, at the you know I think probably U thirteen U fourteen time. Um, and so that was a good fit. Went over there, spent I think it was a year with Mike, and then um, and then kind of made that transition into the FC Portland stuff. Were you playing with Andrew Gregor at that point? Or did that come um, a little later? No, I think that came a little bit later. Um, if I remember right, um, you know, I think I played. I think he played for West Villa originally, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so that was like, that was like a huge rivalry in and of itself. And, and, um, and I think, you know, like most people, I hated Gregor, um, and, you know, just obviously he's a great person, but you know, on the field, he's, he's, he's tough. So, um, and then I think after that, I think it wasn't until the FC Portland kind of days of where we formed and everyone kind of came together that we became good friends. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that. I mentioned in your bio, 1994 FC Portland wins the national championship. And that's another thing. It wasn't, as you said, saturated. There was a national championship for youth soccer at that time. There weren't two or three different ones. Um, what do you remember of that time? Because it's FC Portland started by Clive Charles. Your head coach of that team was Jim Rylett, whose father was involved in the original investment group at PG Park. So he, or Providence, excuse me. Civic Stadium. He grew up right in Civic Stadium. He told me he used <laughs> yeah. to go after games. They yeah. would run out there and pick cans out, of, you know, pick up cans to go get candy bars with the money. Um, so there's a long history of, you know, people sort of from those NASL times coming through at this time where you won the national championship with um, with FC Portland. What do you remember of that run? Well, that that was that was a crazy run. I mean, there's so many memorable things about that run that year. Um, I mean, first of all, I just want to say, you know, Jim Rylett is, you know, an ama- one, one of the most amazing coaches I've had at any level. And I don't think he gets recognized nearly enough 
uh, for his coaching um, and what he does for the game. Um, and, you know, he, he was a mastermind in terms of like putting plans together and, and formations together and really thinking tactically about the game. And, you know, there's a couple of things that stick out even before we got to the national championship, you know, going to regionals, I think it was our first game we played uh, Southern California down 2-0 at half, if I remember right. And then we came back and won that game 3-2. Um, and that, I mean, that was a huge, huge moment. I mean, Southern Cal was always, you know, the kind of the team to beat probably in the nation. And and we beat them 3-2. And then we went on. And, and in the final, I think it was the night before, he came to me in the hotel and he said, hey, I want you to play a different position tomorrow. I want you to just man mark Pablo Mastroni the whole game. And Pablo's now the the RSL coach, but we were playing against Arizona in the in the final. And so he said, I don't want you to worry about anything other than you stay by Pablo's side the entire game. And I'm like, you just want me to stay on him the entire game. You don't want me to like go forward. You don't want me to shoot. You don't want me to do anything. You just want me to stay on him. He said, yes, just stick to him the whole game. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And, uh, and and so I did that. And I, if I remember right, we ended up winning one zero. Um, and so, you know, he was, you know, and I was one of those guys that, you know, I feel like I would just where, where the team needed me, I was happy to just be out there and play and, and do whatever is needed. And, um, you know, and Pablo was, you know, their best player. And he said, I just want you to, to defend them the whole game. So um, obviously that worked out well. So, um yeah, and then and then you know going to uh, going to the national championship in Minnesota, um, you know it was just unheard of at the time to have a team from Oregon, you know, be in the national championships or even win regionals, and so it was just such a, an amazing run, and and we ended up beating Westchester from New York in the semifinal, I think four two, and then went on to beat the Dallas Texans in the final, so. It, it was, you know, what a, what a great time, what a great run. I mean, that was an amazing team. Um, but, you know, Jim did such an amazing job bringing us all together and um, having us ready for all that. That's another thing is it's not just that this area wasn't saturated. Other areas weren't. So to make it that far, the, the caliber of people you're playing, and you mentioned Dallas, uh, Pablo Mastorenia, who I hope you've had a chance to remind him of throughout the years uh, of doing that. Um like the level yeah, I uh yeah yeah no totally and I think you know it it, it might be one of those you know uh, you know I'm the old man now and back in my day it was like this <laughs> right. but it, it it really you know those were the best players there was only one route back then right now there's you know ECNL there's MLS next there's GA there's all these different systems and and club systems and you know back then it was just one route right there was there you were it was the best players in the U S playing against each other. Um, and so, I mean, that, that it, it's just pretty crazy to think about now that we, we actually won a national championship in in that form, if you will. Um, and I cut yeah, you off was, before the best was, part, Chris, What's I, that? Cut, I cut you off before you're going to tell me that you do remind him uh, as much as you can. No, I, I, well, I run into him all the time cause I still, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a match quote unquote match director for the MLS. And so, I do the RSL home matches, uh, but uh, I have not rubbed it in his face yet. So mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe okay. I'll do that this year. Just keep it in your pocket. You'll need it at some point. Yes. 
what is uh what is it what do you do in that capacity with uh, rsl i've seen you post some pictures of being in the stadium yeah i um so it's kind of evolved over time and i think it started in 2011 you know mls has really grown up as a league and i think it was kind of modeled after what they were doing in the premier league but they, originally it was you know they, they would have an unbiased figure either a ref, a former referee at a high level or a former player, um, kind of be the eyes and ears on the field and, and file a report at the end of the game. Originally, it was a little bit more about, you know, how the refs were calling the game and if they were bad calls and, you know, were the coaches, you know, saying stuff on the sideline and was something crazy happening in the tunnel or before the game or whatever it might be. Um, and then it, it kind of moved away over the last, you know, five or six years to being less about the referee's calls, although there is still a, a component to that, um, and more about just eyes and ears on the field from two hours before the game till after the game. And, you know, looking at, you know, compliance stuff, you know, did they water the field on both sides? Was there, um, you know, were the lights only on one side? What, you know, they're even having us, you know, look at the measurements of the field and, and kind of making sure the ball stands are in the right area. So, and then there's a coordination meeting that we do and, and making sure the uniforms are all good and the rosters are all correct with the right numbers and all that kind of stuff. So it's been fun for me. Um, you know, I've been, I think it was my 12th year doing it and mm -hmm. it's been fun for me because, you know, I never really wanted to, to coach at that level. Um, but, uh, you know, I see a lot of the players that I played with who are now either GMs or coaching. You know, Pablo's the coach here. There's, you know, I ran into Preki last year while he's coaching with Seattle. So I see a lot of the guys that I used to play with. Keeps me involved without, you know, having to, to you know, coach, if you will. And so I really love that aspect of it. And it's, I, I think it's really helped the league grow as well and, and become a little bit more of a professional and mature league. So it's been fun. That's great. I'm glad you're still in the game. I think that's something a lot of players have a hard time figuring out after they play. How will I be involved in the game? Because it's not easy to just not be involved. In. Totally. I, I I listened to your your chat with um, Scott with one P uh, Thompson, mm -hmm. and you know he was talking a little bit about how difficult it is to to figure out what you're going to do next. And I mean, there that is such a huge factor in the game today and i think you know the league's come a long way in trying to do better with that type of stuff um but there's there, there's still a lot more work that needs to be done but it it's really hard to transition from the game and you know back in you know when, when i was playing it, it's not like you were making a, a ton of money you you had to go i mean some people were working you know two jobs as they were playing and so i mean you definitely couldn't retire and so you had to figure out what you wanted to do it's mm -hmm. tough. It's, I mean, you're starting all over, you're, you, you know, to get into the corporate world or whatever you're going to do next, you're starting from square one and nothing, nothing really prepares you for that. You can't really, I think you were talking to Jim Tercy about this, but there's nothing that really you can emulate like playing in front of, you know, 80,000 fans. Like there's just not going to be a, another aspect in your life where something comes close to that in that adrenaline rush and, and, and so, you know, I think a lot of people have a hard time making that transition. And even if you, you know, go on to do great things in the corporate world, there's always, I feel like, a missing hole or, you know, there's a gap in, 
in, in that feeling and camaraderie with the teammates and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, even if you do well in the corporate world, it's, it's still hard. It's still hard to make that transition. What, what helped you do it? Cause I'd, I'd, I'd argue that you're very well adjusted and, you know, in a, in a pretty good place with, you know, your careers, I will say plural because, you know, you've got another great one now and um, what helped with that movement for you? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, I feel a little bit fortunate to, to kind of be where I'm at today. You know, I, it came with a lot of, I would say, preparation and hard work. I mean, I was, I mean, even when I was first came into MLS, I, you know, I hadn't finished in my degree. And so like the first couple of years, I went back to school and was taking classes as I was playing. Um, and so I wanted to make sure I got my degree just to be ready, you know, it, whenever my time came. Um, and so I think that helped kind of prepare me. Um, and then, you know, I, w- I was always either coaching at the youth level while I was playing or, or trying to, you know, when I was playing in Salt Lake, I got my real estate license. And so I was just doing it like a little bit of real estate on the side. Um, when I, w- you know, when I was playing in Portland, you know, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Should I go back to school? You know, I, I was going to try and get a job at Nike and, and kind of go that route just because it was kind of the more traditional route for a sports person to, to go into. Right. And, and so I was always kind of like looking for that next thing. Um, you know, my, my, I wish I played a little bit longer for the Timbers, but my body was pretty beat up. And, you know, during that season I said, Hey, I'm going to go try and find a real job. And if I find one great, if I don't, I'll, I'll play another year. And fortunately, you know, found a, a staffing role, a, a technical recruiting role. And, um, you know, and that's, you know, kind of a sales role where it's a little bit competitive. You, you know, if you want to make money, you got to do a really good job and work hard. And, um, and, you know, so it, I, I did kind of get that competition in my, my first corporate role. It, it kept me competitive and wanting, you know, wanting to work hard and, and earn a, earn a good living. And so I think it really helped. I never, you know, thought I would get into that line of work, if you will, but I, I think, I had really good training and, and I had a really great company that took me on and uh, trained me well. So I feel really fortunate to, to kind of make that transition and, and, you know, be successful in making that transition. So. So I'm going to back us up a bit here. Um, you yeah. went, you played for the University of Portland. So you played for, you know, Clive Charles Biller when we were there. Um, was there any other choice to, I mean, were you going, you played for FC Portland, right? You, were you going to go to any other college or was there any other, I'm sure there were suitors, but how did that happen that you ended up here? Yeah, I, I, um, I just didn't really entertain anywhere else. I mean, I, I had a, a lot of folks reach out, you know, back, back in the day, Virginia, and I think Bruce Arena was there at the time and, you know, they were recruiting me pretty heavily. And, um, you know, I, I'd always kind of thought about UW, you know, Dean Wurzberger was there and, thought a lot of him just growing up playing playing in the youth system and kind of knowing what was happening in Seattle but it it wasn't really I mean I didn't visit anywhere else so I you know I got a lot of you know reach outs or whatnot but you know Stanford was kind of on my mind at the beginning but partly because of tennis like (laughs) originally like I was wanting to play tennis and I you know probably I've got some pictures of when I was you know when I was fourth or fifth grade where it was like I'm gonna go to Stanford and play tennis there um and so, but I, I really, you know, once I was with FC Portland and Clive, it was like, it was a no brainer for me. So 
I, I didn't, I didn't, I kind of knew, you know, probably my junior year in high school, that, you know, I was going to go to UPL. And so something interesting about Clive, you told me before about versatility and how that was kind of one of the things he's, he told you, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, Jim Roulette's coming to you the night before a massive game and says, this is the role you need to do to make the team successful. Um, and it sounds like uh, Clive did a lot of that too. Like if you're going to keep going with your career, here's what you need to do to your game. And it was specific to you. Can you talk about that a little bit? And then also um, if you're speaking to a youth player right now who might be looking at high school and club seasons and thinking they want to move up the chain to college and maybe beyond, what would you say about specializing and being open to different roles between the different levels you play for? It's a big question. Yeah, no, I, there's a lot there. I, 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 um, I think from a UP perspective, you know, when you, when you get to the college level and, and obviously elite kind of club level, you know, you, you have to be willing to play a different position, right? There, there's not always an opening on even the high school team, right? To, to play a position maybe you're used to, but definitely at the college and pro level. And so, you know, coming into UP, I had always been, you know, a forward or, you know, call it an attacking midfielder. Um, never really played out wide. Was, was, you know, usually like an eight or a 10 or, or a nine up top. Um, and so, you know, coming into UP, though, you know, you're a freshman. You, you know, you got to learn the game. And, you know, there were some great forwards there at the time. We, you know, we had, I think Linus was there. We had Zauza. Canadian international who was there. And so, you know, he had me play on one of the wings and I, I played most of the time at UP, I, I played out wide. Um, and so, uh, you know, there were, there were, you know, maybe my junior and senior years, I, I played a little bit more up top, but you know, you, you had to come in and be willing to, to, to play anywhere. Um, and, you know, Clive saw me at least in those first couple of years, with the team that we had, he, he saw me really helping the team out wide, you know, cause we had some other players that, that he liked up top and that sort of thing. So it's super critical, I think, to, to be able to play a bunch of different positions. I mean, I made a 10 year pro career out of being able to play more than one position and, and really a specific position. And, and I think it's super important for players, you know, I, my wife and I coach and have been coaching for the last, you know, eight, nine years at the youth level. And it's, it, it's really hard because especially in the youth level, you kind of see someone, you know, Hey, this, they're really a great right back. And then they kind of get stuck there and it's like, yeah, but we got to, we got to get them playing some other positions so they can learn every position. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's super important. And I think um, if you can learn a couple different positions and know how to play them well, it, it's really going to suit you because, you know, once you get to be a little bit older, you don't get, to, you don't get to choose typically. Right. So you, you got to be ready to play wherever the coach sees you. Okay. So I, I think it's super critical. And so growing up in the university of Portland and going to some of the similar camps I did and seeing the program grow Merlot get built, how does it feel to step out on that field? Um, you know, and, and that like, that's your home field. How does it feel to step on something that, you know, in this area was a pretty big deal. No, I mean, Merlot, even today, right? Like, but, but even back more so back then, probably, I mean, it was the best field in, in the country. Um, you know, I haven't been around to a lot of campuses lately, but, you know, I imagine it's probably still one of the best fields in the country. And, you know, the, the dimensions of the field, the type of grass, 
and um, it, it's just there's no place like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that that is a huge selling point, I think, to to playing soccer there. I mean, it's just the field is amazing, um, and you know, and and it's kind of an intimate environment. It's not a huge stadium, right? Not not you know, there's not a lot of grandstands and stuff like that. It's a very intimate setting but we you know when you get a couple thousand people there at night it it, it's an amazing place to play so but back then i mean it was you know one of its kind you know one of a kind type stadium and fields you know there was very few fields that could really rival that back in the day yeah something i learned growing up uh when they were on the other field and just kind of noticed like i'd see this and then watching the university of portland is the importance of the players and their fans because you're your classmates right the, a lot of the fans are the people you go to school with and the relationship and investing in that relationship and it really built a sense of it's we not just the people on the field and that seemed unique as well totally i i i um you know having that little student section on the riverside that is like it's the west side mm-hmm. um i mean you know and, and when you score a goal in that end and celebrating with the fans and uh, you know and and they're always done up with, with paint and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it, it was, it, it was a, it was a great atmosphere. I think it does, you know, I know you don't like to talk about Jesuit, but I'm one, one of the things you. I remember, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I remember about Jesuit back in the day was, you know, we used to get tons of students and tons of fans to the game. And it was, it, it was just a field with no, uh, no real bleachers. I mean, maybe one set of bleachers, but, they would have like a little rope around the the field, but you had everyone around the entire field, like lining the field, like one yard away from the sideline. Mm-hmm. And even at sunset, I mean, sunset kind of had that, that environment as well, but it would be like packed with people all the way around, like screaming the whole game. And it's just like, there's something to that where you got like all your buddies there, whether it's college or high school, like watching, you know, all sports, like, er, you know, all types coming to the games and watching just makes it a, a fun atmosphere to play in and um you know it's it's probably not safe these days to have an environment like that but i mean back in the day it was like i mean people you could touch people right like they were right there right on the field yelling and screaming most of the match and so i mean th- those are some of the fun fun memories i have from a fan perspective so and so i want to go into your professional career a little bit but before we do i want to probably embarrass you a little bit but i i don't know how much of the donnelly <laughs> cup you remember but i'll tell you uh, my, well, let I, me start with my memory yeah. of it if you're okay oh, okay um, okay yeah, so 1998 start. it's the first time or it's the first time one states won both if i'm right but the oregon women and the oregon men win the donnelly cup which is a national amateur it's what the u23s have turned into and this is before there was timbers u23s it was basically an odp tournament turned something else and it's played in a round-robin format. So there are four teams. Everybody plays everybody. And whoever has the most points at the end wins. And on the last match day, both games are going on. Well, I remember you asking Rob Bartz, who was coaching the team, because I was there with you. Um, I remember you asking him what the score on the other field was. And he told you, and we needed a goal uh, to stay ahead of him, and you scored. And then something went on on the other field, and it looked like, I think it was Nebraska, or someone scored again. And you asked him, and he's like, we need another goal. And I I kid you not, it must have been five minutes before you put another one in and we're national champions. <laughs> yes, I um I remember that. I you know, I, I don't 
I remember that final game. I mean, I don't remember the, the two games leading up to that final game, but you know, I think we were tied on points or whatever with another team. And, um, and I, I, I recall the same thing from what you're mentioning. And I don't, I, you know, I feel like I was just, you know, you, you get those times where you're like in the zone. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was just a game where I, I felt like I was in the zone and, um, and it was like, Hey, we need another one. And it's like, okay, well, let's get it. And then they scored again on the other field. Hey, we need another one, Chris. All right. Um, and so I, I don't even remember like a lot. I don't really have the best memory to be honest with you, but most of the things I remember are more like the team winning. I don't really remember. Like, I don't, I have no idea like how I scored goals in that game. I don't really remember kind of the individual things, but like, I remember the, the, the team wins and stuff like that. And I mean, that was, that was fun to not only win the Donnelly cup, but, but also have the women win the Donnelly cup. I mean, that was, you know, to have two teams from Oregon win it was just so fun. So, and that was such a, a fun team, like, you know, bringing all those, those, you know, folks together to, to play in this tournament. A lot of us, you know, knew each other, right. But never really had played together and it's kind of a makeshift team, but you know, so fun to, to bring everyone together and win. Yeah. Okay. So we'll move into your professional career, uh, February 2nd, 1999, uh, which is if people are doing the math, that's the third ever major league soccer draft and you're drafted by Kansas city. I think people may have an impression of what draft day might be like now. Uh, but in 1999, what was your draft day experience like? I, I don't, I don't even remember draft day in the because we didn't, we didn't all go somewhere for the draft. So like, I, I don't even remember where it was. I think I just got a phone. I might've been, it might've been because I was with the national team. That might be, that might be what happened, but I, I wasn't in a draft room or anything like that. Um, and if I remember right, it, it was, I think Miami and Kansas city had traded picks for some reason. So Kansas city, I think originally had the, the second pick and then they traded and with Miami and Miami got the second pick. So, um, but I remember being drafted fifth and just being like super pumped. Like I had no idea, like I had no idea I'd go first round. Like, and so I was super pumped, but you know, I knew nothing about Kansas city and you know, I, I'd be lying if I said I, I wasn't a little bit bummed just from like a city perspective. Right. Um, but that's because I had, I had no idea, you know, about Kansas City. Never. I don't think I'd even been there. Um, well, you could have played with the Miami Fusion, which is yeah, a, a yeah. different world. In that, its would, own. that would have that, been a crazy. No, yeah. totally. That would have, that would have been crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know. I remember my agent giving me a call and telling me I was drafted fifth and, and I was like, great, what do I do? And, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like these days, I feel like where it was like everyone's getting together and calling people up and, and that sort of thing is a little bit more subdued. Um, I mean, I don't even have any pictures from back in the day then or anything like that. So, but you know, I, I was excited. Um, they were, they weren't very good, if I remember right, the year before. Uh, well, we weren't very very good the year I joined either. But, um, but it, it, you know, I I felt like it was a good place because I thought I'd get an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's pretty rare to have someone be drafted in the college draft and immediately start contributing. And so, I, I saw it as a good opportunity to to get into the league and hopefully get some playing time. 
Yeah. And so uh, we touched on this sort of a little bit, but without telling me, I don't want to know how much you made or how much people made then, but it wasn't a lot of money to, to, for most people to play major league soccer. Right. Can you talk about, I mean, you know, can you talk about like, like how, how was it for players who, I mean, here you are now, if you get drafted into major league soccer and you're signing a contract, it's a different story than it was in 1999. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I can share what I was making in that that first year. I mean, it was the minimum back then, I think, was probably 24000 You know, in some ways, going to Kansas City was good because it was like probably the best city to go to from a cost of living perspective. Right. Um, right. And so, you know, I, I think I probably, you know, made 40000 something like that, um, you know, which back then was great. You know, 24 was the minimum or whatever, and I was making 40 You know, I thought that was great. Uh, you know, eventually went on to, you know, uh, make more than that. But it, it was, you know, think about being drafted by L.A. or New York or Chicago or something. And it's like, it's just so crazy. Like even in my later days, you know, we had in Salt Lake, which is, you know, relatively inexpensive place to live. You know, you have five players living together in a in a in a house mm-hmm. because you couldn't, you know, even even 10 years after eight or nine years after I was drafted, I mean, the minimum was still like 30. I mean, it wasn't back in those days that, you know, it's nowhere near it is today and the leagues come a long way since then. But I mean, it's, it's like, how do you make things work if you're living in a different city, like, like in LA or New York? So, um, you know, I, I just had a little one bedroom apartment, um, with my wife and, you know, she was going to school at KU and, and we were just making it work. And so um, definitely was a little bit in debt those first couple of years, but, um, but you know, it did pretty well. Right. And, and, you know, started to make a little bit more money and, um, you know, did coaching on the side and that, so that helped, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how some of these other guys survived, to be honest, you know, living in, in a major market. Right. And you, you, um, in 1999, I believe, the shootout still was occurring, right? The 35 yard shootout was that the <laughs> yeah. last year of that, which you, I don't think liked, but your teammate, Tony Miola loved so much that he wanted to steal one of the clocks. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I just, for me, like I, I, I usually was someone that took one of the shots and I just felt like it wasn't traditional soccer. Like it wasn't really part of the game, right? Like normal PKs, are really part of the game. And so now I don't love PKs like PK shootouts, but you know, I just felt like, you know, it was one of those things where they were exploring things where it was like, Hey, we want to make this more exciting for fans. And it's like, yeah, but like it needs to be within reason, right? Like you can't like create some crazy shootout or, or crazy rules just to get other fan, you know, American football fans interested. Right. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I was fine with it. I just, I think it was just kind of a, a crazy experiment. So what was your strategy? I mean, it, did, it did make it, yeah, it did make it a little bit more exciting. Uh, you know, Tony probably loved it because it, it wasn't easy to score. Um, so and he got to shoot. You, know, you had five seconds. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you had five seconds, right? Like that's, it's, it's actually pretty fast. So I think it's 35 yards out. You start. Yeah. But like you, you have no time to really do anything. Like you take a couple touches and then keeper comes out to close down the angle and you got to just figure out what you're going to do. And 
um, I don't, I don't know if I was really someone that like had a special way of doing it. I, you know, I'd try and take a little bit of a bigger touch, see if the key, you know, some keepers would come way out and then it's like, yeah, should I chip it? What do I do? You don't really have time to dribble around the keeper typically. Um, and so it's just one of those things where you kind of have to judge how the keeper plays it before you make a decision. Um, but it was tough. Like, I, I don't know what the, you know, the, the conversion percentage was, but have to imagine it, it was a lot lower than just a normal pk so so when they did it they when the when they invented it in the north american soccer league in 1977 i think they found it was like the keepers had a 40 percent chance uh yeah in the test that they did and so they thought and they had the 35 yard line already there so that's right so that's sort of where it came from but that's what they found originally and so i think that's that is higher than you know like the 80 percent chance the shooter has in a you know static yeah. penalty yeah. Kick. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I just, I, I, you know, it's fine. I think it's, you know, good to try and get other folks excited and interested in the game, but, um, and I didn't realize it was, you know, something that had been tried before, but, um, you know, I just didn't feel like it was, you know, traditional part of the game. Yeah. Well, that's fair. So I do want to talk a little bit about that Kansas city team and just kind of your time in major league soccer, you on that team alone, with Kansas City, you played with, like we said, Tony Miola, Precky, Peter Vermes, um, and you played for Ron Newman, Bob Gansler. You've also lined up against some of the best, Landon Donovan, David Beckham. Um, I want to ask a few things here. What was Major League Soccer like in those early days? Uh, you played in Arrowhead Stadium, right? You've seen a lot of change also uh, as you ended up in Salt Lake, uh, which was then an expansion team. So my question, I guess, is, you know, how was it building a league um, you know, 1999 was just the third year of the league and seeing some of those great players come through. What were those experiences like? And when you look at the league now, um, yeah, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, you know, being a part of the evolution of the league is, is uh, you know, was super fun. And to see where it's at today is, you know, it just comes so far. Like if you asked me back then if it would be where, it, where it's at today, I, I'd have a hard time believing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Alexi Lawless was, was, was there as well. So I'd kind of throw him into right. the mix, at least from a city perspective, because I remember joining the team, I think in Vegas for preseason. And that was like, you know, growing up, I mean, I, I, we, when we went and won, uh, the national championship with FC Portland, you know, Lawless was there and he was like, you know, doing a concert before the, you know, so I was, right. you know, I looked up to Lawless, you know, he, he, he was, you know, what a national team player right and it, it's uh, like you know someone you you kind of look up to and he was a recognizable figure back in the day and then all of a sudden i'm playing with him and miola um you know that was you know i was a little bit starstruck um yeah. and so that but that you know that and they they were great like they you know they took me under their wing right and they were super nice and you know precky precky was my roommate for three years um and so you know <laughs> You know, so I, I, I just had these like amazing kind of soccer idols on that yeah. team that kind of, you know, took me under their wing and, and, and helped me. And they, they were all people that were like wanting to help. They weren't, you know, they weren't the, you know, some of the stereotypes of soccer players that are like, yeah, you're just a rookie. Like, we don't care about you. They, they, you know, they really supported me and tried to help me. Um, you know, so that to have that experience was great. You know, Gansler came in, I think it was, you know, I think Newman was let go maybe in my eighth or ninth game. 
something like that. And, and, and Gamsler came in and, um, you know, and, you know, another, you know, I've just been blessed with amazing coaches, to be honest, like every team I've been on, I, I've just been really fortunate to have some of the best coaches in, in, in the world in my mind. So, you know, Gansler coming in was, was great. Um, you know, it, you know, and I, like you mentioned, I, I got to play with some, some amazing folks, you know, I, I always hated Landon Donovan and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you always, hear about this persona and, and, you know, back then, you know, social media wasn't as, as big as, as it is now, but, you know, you just hear these things and it's like, yeah, you know, Landon's kind of a jerk, whatever. And then when, you know, when I played with him at San Jose, it's like, dude, this is the nicest guy ever. And like, you know, in, in, in practicing with him, like to me, you know, I played Dempsey for a very, very short time, but to me, like Landon overall is the best U S soccer player ever. Now, you know, Pulisic, uh, obviously on a, on a great path, you know, probably will be, will be better than Landon is at the end of the day. But I mean, it, it was so great to like kind of see Landon day in, day out, just on the field. Like he's just amazing. And he's, you know, and he's tiny and to do what he could do, like having that small frame is just amazing. Um, so, you know, I, I'm super blessed to play with, with such great, players but but also have amazing coaches you know playing for stevie nickel a liverpool legend right um and dominic Kinnear, you know played for him for a year at san jose like i've just been blessed to have have really amazing coaches um and and play with some really amazing uh players over the years and so you did get i mean you've played for four major league soccer teams uh, and the timbers as well not the not major league soccer timbers my question is how do you how did you prepare and adjust when you're moving between cities and teams i'm just kind of curious from a just a personal standpoint what it's like you know adjusting to a new city i mean it's a small league at the time you know yeah kind of what you're getting into but it's still you're it's not a small country no it it i mean this is partly one of the the reasons i did not want to get into coaching at a high level is it's just there's no stability. And, you know, I, I didn't really want that for my family after I was done playing. And so, um, it's hard. I mean, it's, I remember being traded. I mean, I was pretty fortunate to stay in Kansas city for four and a half years. Um, and even on that, it, it trade day came, the, you know, the trade deadline came and that morning, you know, there's a lot of rumors about me being traded. And that morning I, I met with Gansler and hey, you know, I know there's a lot of rumors going on. Nothing's going to happen. Don't worry about it. And then, you know, two hours later, he calls me and he's like, hey, we traded you to New England. And I was like, I mean, that was just like a dose of business reality. It's like it's a business at the end of the day. So at the time it was super hard. But, you know, looking back at it now, it is a business. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Um, and, you know, the next morning I was on a flight to New England. Um, and so it's just, you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, I only spent a short time in new England and they ended up trading me to San Jose and the next preseason and we were just getting settled in new England. And so, you know, it's just like, you just have to know that kind of comes with the territory. So, and then when I, you know, when I was in San Jose, great time in San Jose. And then, you know, I, a lot of people probably don't know this or remember it, but San Jose, there was rumors that they were going to move to Houston. Mm-hmm. And so, 
And, and then that, that next year, Salt Lake was getting a team and, you know, my wife's from Salt Lake. And so, you know, you can't really pick where you want to, where you want to go play, but I, you know, the Ellinger was the head coach and he had the same agent as, as I did. And so fortunately it ended up working out where I got picked up in the expansion draft to go to Salt Lake. So I kind of was hoping for Salt Lake, but you never know, you know, at that level, you don't get a pick, but um, knowing that the team was going to move to Houston. Uh, more mm-hmm. likely than not. And, you know, obviously my wife's family being in Salt Lake, like ended up working out. And so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's, you know, I didn't at the time of all those transitions, I, I didn't have kids yet, fortunately. And so I didn't have to deal with kind of moving kids around and stuff like that, but it's tough. I mean, it's, it's a business and you never know what's going to happen. And I think, you know, my, my, third year with Salt Lake, you know, Christ was, you know, early on at Salt Lake, you know, he was a player and a teammate and that year, you know, they made a change and he became the coach and, you know, he ended up, you know, letting me go and we were friends, but it was like, I understood, right? Like, it's like, he's trying to do what's best for the team. He felt like he needed to make a change and, you know, we're still great friends today, even though they made a decision to, to not renew my contract. So it's tough. You know, I, I think it, it really led me to not wanting to coach at that level. And it, it's hard, like whether it's college or pro, it, there's just not a ton of st- stability and I don't want to be moving around. Um, so, but it, it's, it's a business and, and I think we all get that. It's, but it's hard. It's hard to go through. And so for the uh, uninitiated, yeah, the San Jose clash became the San Jose earthquakes became the Houston. I don't think they were the dynamo the first year, but then, the San Jose earthquakes that are there now were, um, I guess, technically an expansion team after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like a lot of people probably don't remember that, even though it was what, probably 16, 17 years ago. Not that long ago. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, kind of, you know, it, it wasn't that long after they had moved to Houston that they brought back, you know, San Jose earthquakes again, but, um, and now they're great, celebrating you know, 50 but, years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy how things evolve. Got a great sport in this country. Um, so yeah, I was going to ask as you're as you're sort of moving around, making a career. I think I know the answer to this, and I think you you mentioned it a little bit. But what kept you grounded and so felt supported? Because that's the key, really. Yeah, I mean, I had a super understanding, compassionate wife. You know, she played soccer. You know, in college, she played soccer semi pro for a little bit before she, you know, had to quit playing because of concussions. But, you know, I think, you know, that kept me grounded. You know, I've, you know, my family's always kind of kept me grounded. Um, you know, and I've, I've had really good coaches to mm-hmm. kind of keep me in check, if you will. And, and so, um, you know, and I think that was just kind of part of my upbringing as well. So, um, and you, you just never know, you know, and I have a lot, I have this conversation with a lot of, younger players um you just never know when it's going to end you never know when you're going to get hurt you never know when something crazy happens and you can't play the game again and so i think i've always tried to just prepare myself and and put myself in a good position for when that day uh, was going to come that i'd be prepared to, to do something else and so you know i feel like may, maybe not so much growing up you know i wouldn't say i was the hardest worker kind of at the youth level but think once I got to college pro, you know, it was like, I don't know how long this is really going to last. Like I, I gotta be 
preparing myself and kind of grinding and being ready in case something happens so that I can provide for my family. Um, I think things would have probably been different if, you know, I wasn't married, you know, going through all those transitions. I mean, I could have probably easily got gotten off um, on a different tangent and maybe a bad path. But, you know, knowing that I had to provide for my family at the end of the day, I think probably kept me grounded pretty well as well. Nice. And I want to say something sort of for the record that plain, I mean, we joked earlier about high school. We went to rival Catholic high schools. Um, But I will say the opposing player impression of Chris Brown uh, through that time was just a good guy. Worked hard, kept to his business. Um, At least that was the impression I had. Um, And so it was was a treat to play with you on that uh, Donnelly Cup team because I think that might have been the first and only time I got to. Um, But I also want to, Chris, I want you to... um, can you tell me anything about your your hat trick you scored for New England? I mean, not many people score a hat trick in Major League Soccer. Yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah, that was. Uh, it's it's funny you say. I was thinking about that the other day. It you know it is kind of crazy. Um, you know, it's not like I scored like a ton of goals. You know, throughout my career in the MLS. Um, you know, I scored a fair share, but like you know, I was just thinking like having a hat trick. I mean, there's not very many people can say they have a hat trick in, in, in the MLS. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it was, you know, part of it, I think was just, you know, my passion and maybe, um, you know, I was really upset that I got traded. <laughs> and so it was like one it was of your first game like, with the team. I'm, yeah, it was my, I think it was, I think my first game, um, I couldn't maybe play in my first game, like the first game that there was when I was on the team, but, it was my first start and it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I'm going to show Bob Gansler that, you know, he made a bad decision here. Um, and so like, I just had extra motivation if you will. And so, um, and, and to be honest, like there had to have been an injury or something. Cause like Twelman was on the team. Joe Max Moore was on the team. I think maybe Joe Max Moore was hurt or something. And so, and so I got the start and um, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, one of those games where I was kind of like, Hey, I'm going to do whatever I can to, to prove myself with my new team. And, um, you know, I was really fortunate that, you know, Stevie nickel kind of trusted me to, to play and, and start for them. Uh, you know, they were in the playoff hunt and, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't remember all the goals in that game, but you know, it was, um, I think we ended up being Chicago fire five, two or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. And then, well, what's crazy about that is I think it was the n- either I think it was the next game or maybe that game I had broken my foot, mm-hmm. and so it was just like it was kind of a crazy couple weeks because I got traded and then I get a hat trick, then I break my foot, and then you know and then Clive passes away. Right. It was like such a it was just such a crazy time where it was like so many ups and downs and and you know. I don't remember a ton about that period of time, but, but yeah, I mean, it was obviously, you know, fun to, to be able to get a hat trick in the MLS. Yeah. And talk about going back to the idea of such a good support group. I mean, that all of those events, you know, that things are, takes a lot to process things of, of magnitude, whether they're good or bad. Um, here's a good one. 2008, you play your last professional season back in your hometown with the Timbers. I'm curious, how was it coming home to play out your career? And also, um, Andrew Greger, college teammate, was on that team. 
and Jim Rylett was on the sidelines as an assistant coach. Um, how did it feel to kind of come full circle and, and sort of what was that year like for you? Oh, and how did you end up? Yeah, here? I. Yeah, I think you know, I always wanted to to play for the Timbers, and so um, you know, I, I I'd be lying if I said like, oh, you know, I want to. It's going to be kind of a storybook thing where I'd come back and play my last season with the Timbers. You know, I I don't know if it was ever going to be like that, but I always had the back of my mind that I would love to you know play for the Timbers someday. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just kind of came together in the sense that, you know, Salt Lake didn't want to pick up my, my contract and I was like, oh man, well, what should I do? Where, where can I go play? And there were, there wasn't a lot of bites from other MLS teams and stuff like that. So, um, you know, going back to play at, at Portland was an option. And, and, you know, I think it was just one of those things where I reached out to them and was like, Hey, you know, would you want me? And so, uh, but yeah, that like be able, I mean, there were so many awesome things with coming back to, to Portland. I mean, one, you know, you Timbers army in my mind, best fan base still today, um, mm-hmm. you know, to come back and play it, you know, and at that time, it's not like USL was getting like huge crowds at, at their games at other areas, but like Portland always great fan base. And so to, to, you know, be able to play in, in front of fans that know the game and, uh, and, and really are committed to supporting the team was, was, was great. Jim Rylett was kind of, you know, uh, cherry on top. Um, you know, Gregor and I actually crossed paths a little bit at Kansas City. He played for the Wizards for a little bit um, when I was there, so that was kind of fun. But to, you know, be reunited with him, that that was great. And um, so it 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 was a fun year. I mean, obviously we didn't do as well as we probably should have in in terms of the talent we had on that team, but. You know, it, it was a fun time to come back to Portland and, and you know, play with, with Jim and play with Andrew and, you know, kind of see, see uh, Timber Jim off the right way. That was fun. Right. Um, so, yeah, ask about that yeah I still too. look very finely. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's still a very, very, uh, I look back fondly on that season, even though we didn't uh, accomplish what we probably should have. Yeah, and I I think one thing before I say about that, I, I don't think a lot of people know that Andrew was playing with Seattle Sounders and he wanted to finish his degree. And something that I've heard a lot of people say is that when you went to the University of Portland, Clive said, look, you're going to finish your degree. It may not be in four years. It may not be the most linear thing, but that door is always open. And Andrew was taken advantage of that, um, seeing his career kind of get to that same point as well. And so he wanted to come back and finish, do that, finish that. And so that's how he was playing with the Timbers. Yeah, I think, you know, when when you grow up, when you grow up in Portland, you know, you you always have I mean, when I was young, that you know, it's not like um you know, there's so many evolution of the Timbers, right? Like we we didn't grow up coming to the game, but you know, we we knew a lot of the people that came before us. You know, we we especially the FC Portland days when, you know, with Ganty being there and and you know, Clive and and Jim and you know, and and John Bain still involved in in Conway and so but, you know, it, we didn't have games to, like, come to, really, back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what we came to was, you know, the Portland Pride games. And so, like, at least, you know, when we were a little bit older, high school age, you know, we, we were going to the Pride games. Um, and, and so, but there, there was always that element of, you know, wanting to, wanting to play for the Timbers, I think. Um, you know, I can't speak for Andrew, but, you know, I, I think... Um, we, we kind of had similar mindsets, I believe, in terms of wanting to finish out our career and in, in the place that we grew up in. 
So I'm going to ask this question again. A lot of people may know it or may not. Timber Jim Serrell, uh, besides he's retiring, he 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 does one last game, 2008 season opener, uh, Portland Timbers against the Puerto Rico Islanders. And in the 71st, 71st minute, you score the one goal of that game. It's a 1-0 win. But I think uh, just as important, it's the last log slice that Timber Jim cuts in that role. Yeah, it. I. I. Uh, there was a lot of pressure. I feel like um, maybe maybe that I put on myself because you know it was his last game. I mean, Timber Jim is such a legend, and so I mean that's like probably one of the few things I remember as like a uh, you know as a as a lad, if you will, growing up was like, hey, who's this guy like climbing up this huge tree and like cutting things off, and yeah. and so like I remember that as like a five year old, right, and so. I put a lot of pressure on myself to like, you know, have a, you know, send them off on the right note, if you will. And, you know, I, I remember, right. That game wasn't a pretty game. by any means. Um, and so to be able to, to be able to score, I mean, I put a lot of pressure on myself to like have a good result in that game. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I wanted him to have a good send off and, and fortunately, you know, things worked out, but, um, you know, it, it, it was, a, it ended up being an amazing night to, you know, get a, get a win and, um, have him participate. I think we both, you know, felt really good about that night. Um, and it was, it, it was just kind of fun to see, see him off if you will, with the win. Yeah. I mean, we've got it good here. Um, we've had people give a lot to the game, not just on the field, but off the field to have that moment when I read, when I was doing research and I found that I was, I was so excited for you and I was excited for him as well, because I know it. I'm assuming it would mean a lot for him to have someone who came up influenced by the Timbers, coached by former Timbers, uh, to to be that have that role in that moment. How did it feel just to be? You also, I mean, you're in front of the Timbers Army, um, you know, in a USL team that or area that you know a lot of teams, like you said before, that the crowd atmosphere is not as good as it was, and the Timbers Army was growing at the time. I mean, just how great is that moment to to have all of those things coalesce into, into just one moment of a soccer career in your hometown. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those moments where like, I, you know, I knew that it was, it was kind of a big deal. I, I you know, I don't, I, I think when you, oftentimes when you look back at, you know, kind of moments, it, it probably is a bigger deal than you realize when you're in the moment. Right. Um, but you know, it, it, it like you said, when you were, you know, maybe doing research for it, it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, you know, it's, it's not one of those things that a lot of people remember, but for me and, and for probably Jim, it's like a special moment. Um, and so like, you know, I, I would say that that's one of my fondest memories of the game. Um, you know, there's a couple like moments when I think about just like, you know, even before I was going to talk to you, I was thinking about ah, what are some of my favorite moments throughout my career? You know, that that's one for sure. Like 100%. That's one. I think the Donnelly cup, um, that game in the Donnelly cup is one. And I, um, and I think, uh, you know, the hat trick, obviously winning the MLS cup. I mean, those are some other things that stick out. Um, but even my, my time at, at Jesuit and, you know, it's that, that moment, you know, with, with Jim is, is a special one. And like you said, it's his final game. He came back for just that one game that year and kind of passed the torch to Timber Joey, who, by the way, is a legend in his own right. 
Absolutely. And, and what a great, what, what, what a great person to follow up Timber Jim. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a really special moment for, for me personally. <laughs> so, yeah, I know you've been back to Providence park to see the MLS Timbers play. I'm wondering as a veteran of not just the Timbers, but also as an M- MLS champion, What's your experience like when you go to a match there? Is it easy to just sort of, I don't know, what's it like being a former player and having that success and being in that place? Can you just enjoy the game or is it, I don't know, what's it like? Yeah, it's weird. It's, 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 um, I don't really go to that many games because, you know, I'm, I'm doing my stuff with, you know, as a MLS match director or whatever. And so like, I, you know, I get to see the game, at least the RSL games, like on the, like I'm on the field. And so, um, but I don't really go to too many matches where like I'm sitting in the stands or something like that. But when, when, and when I come back to Portland, it's, you know, Chase has got a box with Terseys. And so it's, I'm usually like, you know, with, with my buddies and like kind of out of, out of the, the general fans. Um, but, you know, it, it's amazing just to go to a game. I mean, like, even if you just look at, you know, Providence Park, it's like that whole, what is it, south side? You know, I don't know if that's south or not, but oh, the north that end? whole grand. Where the, oh, sorry, go ahead. no, I know what you're talking about. You're, the south side where the, the where the seats have, you know, the tenor ridge. Just the that. whole park is, yeah, just the whole park has changed, right? Like that side used to be the the baseball outfield. I don't know what directionally that what side that is, but um but just like to see how things have grown and just see how, you know, awesome the Timbers army and how big they are now. And it, it's just, and then the quality on the pitch, right? Like just the quality of play is just like top notch these days. And so um, it, it's just, it's just fun to see how much the game has grown and um, you know, it's, it's fun to come back and, and watch the Timbers play. And um, you know, you, you couldn't really, imagine i think where not only the timbers are these days but also just the mls in general it, you know just the quality of product is is so high you know it's it's fun to see if you wanted to kill a game off in the in the pg park days it's the east side you just you just hit the ball to the east side nice and soft so it doesn't bounce back because it would go forever into center field <laughs> totally right? oh man get the funny. ball boys yeah, all probably, chasing it yeah i think i we probably did that um you know, against Sunset back in the day in Sydney right. Stadium, I would imagine, because that was that was astroturf, like legit cement, <laughs> and yeah. so you hit that ball barely out of bounds. It was it, it was going to go for a while. So, what do you, Chris? You're 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 a timber. Once a timber, always a timber. We're hitting the 50th anniversary coming up, um, and you've been influenced heavily by the people who came through the NASL as well. I'm curious, what would you hope to see in in 2025 when we look and say we've been doing this for 50 years oh that's a good question you know i i think um you know i i think you know i you know i'm not um you know trying to kiss up to you but like i i love that you're kind of like bridging the the generation gap because that you know a lot of people don't you know today right a lot of people don't understand the the entire history of the timbers and so, um, anytime you get a chance to like go back and, and I, like I said before, I'm not a huge history buff. I, I wouldn't call myself a student of the game, but, um, but I think it's, you, you got to know where it came from. You have to know what, who came before you and how this was built. And so, you know, I would hope that, you know, next year, you know, there, there's a lot kind of, of bridging the, the generational gaps of, you know, 
how, how did this even come to be back in the 70s? Um, and, and how do we even get to where we are today? And, you know, I don't know how it compares to maybe other cities and, and teams, but like there, there's so much, there's so much uh, history and so much of an evolution and, you know, so many positives and negatives with like, you know, them being around and not being around and going defunct. And then, you know, so I, I you know, there's so many interesting stories about the history of the timbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I just hope that th- there's some type of recognition of like all the great stuff that kind of kind of came before this, um, you know, and, and personally, you know, I hope, I hope there's a lot of, uh, you know, recognition given to, to folks like, like Clive. Mm-hmm. John Bain and others, and and so um, yeah, I you know I don't know what the plans are, but um, I hope that it, it's kind of a a history um, history uh, education. Yeah, I I'm hoping we'll get Art Dixon on here at some point because he was you know he was a lot of the money and support behind the post Louisiana Pacific pre um, you know Portland Timbers. I'm sorry, Portland Trailblazers owning the Timbers years uh, when it was, you know, there was the FC Portland, there were challenge teams, the regional league Timbers that played, you know, Seattle, um, Arizona, San Jose, San Francisco. Uh, and so that was an, that was an interesting period because there wasn't professional soccer in the United States aside from indoors. Um, and then these regional type leagues. And he was someone behind that because I think that was huge to bring. And that's probably where we both saw Timber Jim as kids. Yeah, I I mean I was so young back then that, and my parents weren't really like sports people, <laughs> yeah. so you know I I don't I don't remember going to Timbers games like I remember going to the Pride games when I was a little bit a little bit older but like the one thing I do remember right is Timber Timber Jam, yeah. um, and but yeah I mean it was you know growing up, and even you know even in college it was like I I didn't really have any plans to play soccer after college, like there, you know, I, I would have to go play overseas or something. That was like the only route. Um, and then MLS formed like, you know, pretty, I think my, whatever it was my junior year or uh, sophomore year in college. And so that kind of became the goal at that point. But yeah, I mean, growing up it, it, um, you know, I, it, I was kind of just in, in that in between, right? Like so much great timbers, you know, things in the past, but re- wasn't a whole lot going on at the, at the time that I was in grade school and in junior high, probably. Right. And now that you've mentioned it, I mean, the, the guys who played before you at the university of Portland, um, you know, they missed out on major league soccer because they, they'd have to do, you know, an a league indoor mix to make a year out of, make a career out of it playing year round. Yep. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of guys from that area that were, that were kind of in that in between where, I mean, they, they could have gone on and played at a, a you know, in the MLS and at, at a super high level. Right. So, and some of them did, right? Um, there, there just wasn't the MLS option at the time. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of interesting because you, you do have that, you know, whatever it is, eight, 10 year kind of period where it's like, you know, there isn't a whole lot professionally in, in the US, you know, from an outdoor perspective. So, this is a, a very important question. I think that people should be asking you do you still have your 1999 Kansas City home kit? <laughs> Yeah, I've got a bunch of them. Um, I can send you one if you want. Oh, um, you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that there's yeah. a more beautiful thing in the sport of soccer. Yeah, I well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of differing opinions on that, but right. I, 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 I like it personally. 
Um, but yeah, some of those, some of those Kansas city kits are, are pretty awesome. Um, yes, I have some of the shorts and some of the socks and, uh, there were, there was one kit. I don't know if you've seen this kit, but there's one kit that is like mesh. It's like, uh, um, yes. kind of like football jersey. <laughs> um, I have got that one. Um, yeah, I, I've got a couple. I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to send you one. That'd be great. I'll throw it up. If we ever do a um, visual podcast, we can have it in the background. Yeah. 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 That's great. Um, yeah, the, there's some great kits. <laughs> well, the early, I don't want to get off too much, but the early days of, of major league soccer, the, the stuff that teams wore, teams got their own stuff made. And so it was, you know, Puma, um, Nike, Adidas. Um, I know I'm probably missing somebody in there as well. I think Admiral was in the mix at one point with Colorado. Uh, it was wild. Yeah, Theodora. Dude, yeah. All right. So la- I, this is the last sort of, me- you know, question of some substance. And I hope it's okay. I'm not going over a boundary here, but you have kids who are active in sports. I'm curious. And you, and you coach a lot, right? I know you and your wife are heavily involved in their teams. Um, and you're, you know, you're doing what yep. your parents did. You're showing up uh, and helping out because, you, yep. you know, because you can. Um, what conversations yep. do you have with them about goals and the sports of their choice and how that can inform their life? Because I feel like that's a foundation that, helped you um but the generations are always different um so what kind of conversations do you give to them or even other kids on the team about that well i i um i know it's a little bit cliche especially for this podcast but like you know clive and fc portland you know was a really great foundation to not only build good soccer players but also good people and so like to me that that's always kind of stuck with me is you know it's not all about soccer it's like about being a good human about getting good grades it's about just you know being a great person at the end of the day and so like i was instilled with that like from the fc portland days um and so for me you know the goals with my kids aren't so much about hey you know set this high goal of like playing professionally someday it's more like i just want them to be active i want them to have fun I want them to be getting good grades um, and be happy at the end of the day. Um, for my oldest daughter, um, you know, soccer has always kind of been her first love. I mean, she, you know, she played a couple different sports, but she, she's always known that she wants to play soccer. For my son, you know, he he's not a soccer person. Like he, he you know, we got him started in soccer. He was fine seemed like he liked it, but you know, he's so young. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if he like loves it or not. Is it going to really communicate with us? Right. But then he, you know, he got a little bit bigger and then became a goalie. And then he was like, I don't like this. And it's like, well, just tell us like, you know, that's fine. Like you, we, we don't want to, we're not like forcing you to play soccer. We want you to be active, but, and so he's been really fun because, you know, he's gotten us into other sports and, you know, I, I love all sports and, and now, you know, he's, he's pretty successful at rugby. He's a football player. He's a skier. Um, but we did, you know, we just want these guys to be active and getting, you know, good grades and taking care of themselves. And, and so that's kind of what we focus on. And my youngest who's 10 and we, we still coach their team. I mean, she's by far our best athlete and, um, you know, that team is just so fun. We've got a couple, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm biased. You know, we got a couple of girls on on our on our team that I, I wouldn't be surprised aren't on the national team someday. You know, we're we're playing up a year and and 
you know, doing well and playing against boys teams. And so it's been really fun to coach that team with my wife. Um, but you know, we, we just, we just want our kids being active and being happy. And it's just so hard these days, mental health wise, you, you know, there's just so many social pressures and, you know, uh, stuff you get at school and, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to be a kid these days. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's hard to, uh, no, even if you're like good and at a, at a sport or even if you're popular or whatever it is, it's like still hard. You've always got people like judging you. And so it's just like, it's so hard to be a kid these days. Hmm. Um, and so we're, we're really like just focused on like, you know, mental health and like, are they feeling good? Um, you know, we've never really tried to pressure any of our kids to like, you know, be great at a sport or anything. We want them to, to kind of figure it out themselves. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of how we look at things. Um, you know, and I think, you know, so far that's, that's proven to, to go over well with our kids. And so far they're on, on a, on a good path, I think my son's a little questionable, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but overall, I think the, the kids are on a good path. So nice. Well, uh, you can turn that up or, or down if he's in the car when you're listening to this, your choice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> No, he knows. Like we're up front with him. I mean, he he knows who he is. I mean, he's yeah. he knows he he's you know he he's probably not any worse than I was to be honest. Um, you know, it's just one of those things when you become an adult. It's like don't do this, and it's like in the back of your head, you're like, but I was doing that, you know, at his right. age. So, um, he he he's a good kid. Is he's just a little bit more of a troublemaker than our other kids. So, I'll keep you young, both of you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Chris, did we miss it? I mean, we missed everything. We missed a lot, but anything you want to add uh, at the end here? No, I mean, I, I, I think, I think the one thing that I, you know, I, I think people will hear and see just with the podcast that you're doing, but like, to me, there's something unique with the timbers and, and like the people that have always been associated with the timbers and it's good people, like good humans. Um, and, you know, you look at some of the folks that have been around the game for a long time, you know, some of, some of the older folks that you've talked to and some of the younger folks that you've talked to. And it's like, it's just genuinely good people that have kind of always been a part of the game and the timbers. And it, it's just, I, I think that's unique. That, that's, that's not always the case. You know, I've been a part of a lot of different teams and communities and clubs and it's like, you know, the, all it takes is one parent or one player to like, you know, really ruin the culture and really ruin the environment. Um, I think it's, there's something unique about soccer city. There's something unique about the timbers that it's just like genuinely good human beings. And, and it's just kind of fun to be a part of that. Well, thanks, Chris. I couldn't agree with you more. That's uh Jesuit high school's Chris Brown. Thanks for coming, Chris. Thanks, Billy. You ain't got to be too underground to a giant at 7-3 To play this game called soccer, which is growing rapidly You can hear it on the radio, you will see it on TV But when the Portland boys appear, you will hear them sing with glee Green is the colour, soccer is the game Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's be all of the boys. Let's cheer for the Portland Timbers. Will-